Hello there! In the last episode, we announced the launch of Shut Up and Do the Impossible, the Rational Fiction Online Anthology. Then, in the last two weeks, a confluence of really time-expensive life events prevented us from recording another episode. So this week, instead of a regular episode, we are podcasting The Sword of Good. It's one of the stories that appears in that anthology. It was originally aired on the Methods of Rationality podcast. We apologize for the lack of an episode. See you in two weeks. Hello, and welcome to The Sword of Good, written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineash Brodsky. Captain Selina, late of the pirate ship Nemesis, quietly extended the very tip of her blade around the corner, staring at the tiny reflection on the metal. At once, but silently, she pulled back the sword, and with her other hand made a complex gesture. The translation spell told Hiru that the hand signs meant orcs, seven. Dolph looked at Hiru. My prince, the wizard signed, do not waste yourself against mundane opponents. Do not draw the sword of good as yet. Leave these to Selina. Hiru's mouth was very dry. He didn't know if the translation spell could understand the difference between wanting to talk and wanting to make gestures, and so Hiru simply nodded. Not for the first time, the thought occurred to Hiru that if he'd actually known he was going to be transported into a magical universe, informed he was the long-lost heir to the Throne of Bronze, handed the legendary Sword of Good, and told to fight evil, he would have spent less time reading fantasy novels. Joined the army, maybe taken fencing lessons at least. If there was one thing that didn't prepare you for fantasy real life, it was sitting at home reading fantasy fiction. Dolph and Selina were looking at Hiru as if waiting for something more. Oh, that's right. I'm the prince. Hiru raised a finger and pointed it around the corner, trying to indicate that they should go ahead. With a sudden burst of motion, Selina plunged around the corner, Dolph following hard on her heels, and Hiru, startled and hardly thinking, moving after. There was a hissing sound as the seven creatures guarding the doorway caught sight of them, the intruders. Their glistening chests expanded, sucking air. Their faces contracted, eyes squinting in an expression that a human would interpret as hatred or surprise. And then, their scaly warted hands whipped over their heads and brought forth swords. Selina already held her sword in her right hand and her whip in her left. She leapt forward and howled, a wordless cry that harmonized oddly with the battle roar of the orcs. And in almost the first instant of the clash, one of the orc heads separated from its body and flew through the air, trailing foul-smelling black blood. Hiru breathed evenly, trying to still his trembling. The Sword of Good gave a tiny soft growl at his side, a sound that only he could hear, as Selina slashed her blade across another orc's face, giving rise to a whistling howl. Still, he kept the sword sheathed. Do not waste yourself against mundane opponents. Even now, the wizard was eyeing him closely, as if expecting him to defy orders and plunge into battle himself. A small part of him, the part that wasn't totally terrified by the battle, was flattered that Dolph thought so highly of him. It was all Hiro could do not to turn and bolt. 
He was tensing his legs as though exerting a constant muscular effort to keep them in the same place. The orc bodies were piling up around Selina, the whip blinding or tripping or yanking, her blade ending life. It might have taken hours or seconds before a huge blow split the last orc's head all the way down the middle. She stood there, blood-spattered and panting heavily, waiting as though daring the bodies to ever move again. Then her face relaxed and she gave a light laugh and stooped to wipe her blade on the black orc leather. You're hurt! Hiru blurted suddenly. Red was soaking through the leather on Selina's left arm. Selina glanced downward. A scratch. You cannot assume that, rumbled the wizard. Their blades may be poisoned. Dolph stepped forward and brushed Selina's arm briefly with the staff. Oh. Selina said, her face surprised. It's... But Dolph was already moving past her to look at the gate the orcs had guarded and the stairway leading upward. I believe that there is a dark magus upstairs. A magus? Here? A magus, Hero echoed. He swallowed hard. He knew what that meant. Dolph only glanced at Selina. Do as I taught you. Drop your weapons, sit in the corner, and clear your mind. Now, as Selina seemed about to protest. An ordinary warrior is only a liability in a battle of wills. A weak point to be defended. A piece to be turned against its player. Selina looked at Hiru. Hiru nodded. And Selina sheathed her sword, dropped it and the whip, unbuckled the harness that held her daggers, and sat down in the corner of the room and began chanting softly to herself. Dolph spared her only a glance. And now, my prince, you may enter the battle. Though most of Hiru's mind was whited out by terror, there was a remnant that seemed to see and follow the pattern, like reciting memorized lines in a play. And that remnant knew that Hiru's part was to draw the Sword of Good. The ancient metal whispered out of its scabbard. As Hiru drew the sword, it began wailing, a small, thin shriek that Hiru knew only he could hear. The scream seemed to come from an infinitely narrow line running straight down the center of the sword. The sound had a quality that forced away attention, as though your eye were looking too close to the sun. As though, if you listened too hard, you would... You would lose... Dolph strode around the fallen orcs and their assorted body parts. Hiru followed, breathing evenly. The sword informed his hand to grip it high and across his chest. Who are we fighting? Hiru was surprised at how neutral his voice sounded. A note of condemnation entered Dolph's voice. A false wizard this, not born to the art, nor trained in the halls. Its gifts come to it by a higher master, by necromancy and potions. But fear not, my prince. I shall prevent its will from reaching Selina and smother its other magics, and your sword will sweep aside its defenses like fallen leaves. Through the door they swept and mounted the stairs of the tower. Dolph was breathing heavier now, his face belying the effort of warding off some pressing will. Hiru felt nothing except perhaps a note of crispness in the air as the sword in his hand enforced an edict against certain specific types of delusion. 
Then they were standing at the highest level of the tower, the end of the stairs, before one small wooden door. I'll enter first, Dolph signed. And you follow as fast as you can, and strike as quickly as may be done. Be careful not to strike me, my prince. The sword of good may strengthen your hand, but not guide your steps. It will strike me as easily as the foe, if you happen to turn it in my direction. Hiru nodded. The air of neutrality was wearing away, and the acrid tang of adrenaline was entering his mouth. Three, signed the wizard. Two, one. Dolph's oaken staff crashed against the door, blasting it off the hinges in a flare of light, and Dolph was racing into the room, and Hiru was following him, and the figure in stained brown robes was spinning its staff forward, and a wall of flames swept out. Hiru flinched and gave a small shriek, but the flames washed over him ineffectively before his feet could even stumble, averted by the sword. Dolph also was untouched. The defenses of a wizard were nearly impossible to break, Dolph had said. Some wizards spent hours every day building them higher. There was only one known weapon that could kill a wizard in a single blow, and that was... Am I really going to do this? But the sword was already swinging forward in Hiru's hand and the blade bounced off the air around the stained brown robes with a sudden shower of orange sparks. Crap. Hiru had time to think. And then the false wizard's staff was sweeping toward him. Metal it was, not wood. But the sword in his hand moved to parry it, and there was another shower of sparks. Keep attacking! You chipped his sorcery! Keep fighting! Hiru gasped for breath and began to chop away with the sword as though cutting wood, sending bits and pieces of broken magic everywhere. There was little force in the blows, except when the sword moved to parry the staff. The rest was speed and repetition. Then, the scarred face beneath the hood gave a sudden shriek, as the sword lightly scored over the dark flesh. Is the shield down? Before Hiru could even complete the thought, his arm lashed out with sudden force, and the sword sank through the robes near where a human would keep their heart. There were no last words, not even a brief sigh. The false wizard's eyes widened, and then the robes just... fell over. Hiru fell to his knees. Your Highness! I'm alright! Hiru choked out. Nausea competed with adrenaline for control of his existence, and lack of oxygen, and sharp and dull pains from his over-exercised hand and arm. Dolph's staff brushed him, and the pain and nausea faded. That only made it worse. It removed the distractions. The wizard was still looking at him, eyes flickering between Hiru and the sword. Wielding the sword of good did not hurt you, did it, your highness? There was alarm in Dolph's voice, as well there might have been. The Sword of Good, according to Dolph, would kill the unworthy with the lightest touch, as of a single finger on the blade. It killed nine out of ten would-be wielders, and in ordinary times the Imperial family was not allowed to even try. It had been prophesied that Hiru would wield the sword, and yet... Dolph! Why did the sword bounce off his shields? You said it would cut through magic with a single blow. Dolph seemed uneasy. 
It has been centuries since the last wielder held the sword of good, noble prince. Perhaps not all the stories are true. To cut through a wizardly shield with a score of blows is still a very great power. No, Hiru hesitated. Then, I'm not wielding the sword at full strength. I can feel it. It seems disappointed in me. Dolph nodded. The sword of good, he quoted softly, contains the essence of that which empowers a hero, the truth which only heroes can face. My prince, I have been reluctant to say this, but you have not been acting heroic. There was a peculiar gentleness on Dolph's face that softened the impact of the words. But it will come with time, of that I am certain. It is written in the royal blood of your forefathers. You were raised in another place, but you are the heir of bronze. Hiru retched, then swallowed hard, and hard again. With a sudden flash of horror he knew, and he knew just how unheroic it was, that he was about to throw up on the corpse. Their horses sauntered through the streets of the city, the capital of the whole province it was, which meant perhaps a square mile enclosed by wooden walls and the occasional two-story building. Hiru kept his eyes moving, watching for possible ambushes. Not that he really thought he had a chance of spotting one, if there was one, but it was his best guess at how a hero would act. What would Aragorn do? That had been the refrain of his thoughts of late. Was the lady carrying a clay pot on each shoulder a threat? Was the legless beggar, watching them with incurious eyes, a spy? There was an excited buzz of conversation in the streets. From the snatches that were audible, Hiru gleaned that a military outpost of the Empire had been overrun by orcs. The Empire was trying to play it down, said the overheard voices but rumor had it a major disaster for the planned invasion campaign. Hiru glanced over at Dolph and Selina. Neither seemed to be paying any particular attention to the matter. They cantered on for a short while longer, and finally Dolph drew rein. <coughs> Selina at once followed, and after a moment's reaction time, so did Hiru. Here, Dolph rumbled. Hiru looked at the building on their right. There was a huge painted board in front, showing a mouth being crammed with a turkey leg larger than itself. The sign scratched below, the translation spell informed him, meant, in of extremely tasty food. One nice thing about this world, if they don't want you to know, they just keep quiet. And if they want you to know, they tell you straight out. Hiru didn't say it out loud, though. Aragorn, descendant of Elendil and heir to the throne of Gondor, wouldn't have said it. Was that part of what empowered a hero? That solemnity? Or maybe just taking things seriously? Hiru didn't know, but there was no point in taking chances. The sword hadn't killed him yet, but neither had it fully unlocked in his hand. The innkeeper's eyes went wide at the sight of Dolph's staff and they were swiftly ushered into a private side room with the basket of candied fruits already waiting. Selina had a sugared orange slice in her mouth almost as quickly as she sat down, and sighed in bliss. 
Even Dolph took a handful of nuts. Hiru, with a private sigh, took an apple slice lightly dusted in a spice he didn't recognize. Just the fact that it was spiced probably made it one of the most expensive and luxurious treats this world had to offer. He bit, chewed, swallowed. God, he missed chocolate. So now what? Selena said after she'd eaten half the bowl. Now we wait. For what? Dolph looked around. The staff twitched in his hand and shed a brief woody glow. Even so, the wizard lowered his voice before he spoke. This night, an assassin courier and two hired thugs will come to this very inn, their wagon having broken a wheel on the road. We must have the message that they carry, for it contains a hint to the location of the empty necklace. Selina blinked. Fine, I give up. How could you possibly know that? Dolph looked at Hiru, his eyes asking permission. Tell her, Hiru said. He tried for a note of authority in his voice, a crown prince's decision, but he didn't know if he'd succeeded. Dolph nodded, and his gaze shifted back to Selina. How much do you know about the prophecy of destiny? One nice thing about this world, they put very clear labels on everything. Oh, skip it. Selina blinked. Not much. That's wizard business. Not much call for it in the pirating profession. Very true. But what do you know? Selina shrugged. A new Lord of Dark shall arise over Evil Land, commanding the bad races, and attempt to cast the spell of infinite doom. The long-lost heir wielding the sword of good shall kick evil's ass. That's about it. That's it? Hiru said incredulously, then caught himself. Aragorn wouldn't have said that. Selina smiled at him. It was enough for me, your Imperial Highness. A chance like this only comes along once in a woman's lifetime. She blew him a kiss. For once, Hiru wasn't distracted. Master Dolph, Hiru said, trying to make it a statement instead of a question. I believe she needs to know more than that. Yes, though it is wizard's business indeed, and only by imperial command may it go further. He drew a breath, lowered his voice further. The original... Prophecy of destiny, Selina, was never written down. It has been memorized by the Archmagi and passed down by word of mouth through the generations. It is more detailed than you seem to realize. You are mentioned, Pirate Princess, mentioned by name and your mother's name, Daughter of Elaine. Selina's mouth lay open, a picture of perfect astonishment. Uh, do I die at the end? No one knows. The prophecy of destiny is a strange thing, pirate princess. It tells of some events in the smallest detail, omits others that would seem very large. Told we were to be on the ship that you attacked. Told we were of your name. The prophecy of destiny carries through to the confrontation between the long-lost heir and the Lord of Dark on the very verge of the casting of the spell of infinite doom. Then, it says, 
the long-lost heir shall choose between good and bad. And there, there of all places, the foretelling ends. Huh. Selina tapped her cheek. I somehow suspect, Master Wizard, that you wouldn't tell me or His Imperial Highness if I did die at the end. She stared at Dolph, and Dolph looked back neutrally. So what does the spell of infinite doom do? Destroy the world? Few there are who would deliberately destroy the world. Even the Lord of Dark requires lesser beings to rule over. No, the spell of infinite doom destroys the equilibrium. Light and dark, summer and winter, luck and misfortune. The great balance of nature will be not upset, but annihilated utterly. And in it, set in place a single will, the will of the Lord of Dark. And he shall rule, not only the people, but the very fabric of the world itself, until the end of days. Huh. Selina said again. Her eyes flicked to Hiru. And how are you leaning on that choice between good and bad? Good, Hiru said instantly. Even if the Lord of Dark offered you the number two position as the master of the universe? Good. You're not even thinking about it. It's not exactly a difficult question. Calling it the choice between good and bad kind of gives away the answer. Selina was trying not to smile. You've never been tempted by anything? It's not a matter of temptation. It's... He trailed off for a moment. It wasn't that he couldn't find the words, it was that the concepts didn't exist in this world. What he wanted to say was that he had a pretty good idea what sort of behavior got you listed as a villain in the great TV Tropes wiki of the universe. And he'd had a worried eye on his own character sheet since the day he'd realized what he'd gotten himself into. And he absolutely, positively wasn't going to go Dark Messiah, Knight Templar, well-intentioned extremist, or for that matter, lawful stupid. It must be that the Lord of Dark will find something to offer you. Selina's eyes were serious now. Otherwise, it won't be much of a choice between good and bad. Fine by me, Hiru said with some acerbity. It wasn't the questioning of his honor that disturbed him, so much as the idea of missing a choice that obvious. How could anyone not know what their character sheet would say about that? What if the Lord of Dark had me prisoner and threatened to kill me unless you... Good. Selina opened her mouth, then closed it again. Sudden hurt showed in her eyes. Oh, come on! Hiru was too shocked in that brief critical moment even to think of smoothing it over. Have some common sense, Selina. The whole world? Selina smiled, a strange, true smile tinged with sorrow. So this is the one who can touch the Sword of Good. You will be a great emperor someday, your Imperial Highness. A very great emperor. And you will see fit to reward me with a court title, and I will be Lady Selina. A nun shall dare speak of the days when I was a pirate and an outlaw. Maybe some nights you shall have me grace your bedchamber for old time's sake, and maybe not. That is enough. More than I have a right to ask. It was a foolish thought. I... 
An abrupt pain caught at Hiru's heart, which might have been for the sheer unfairness. Think it through, Selina. Even if I did care about you more than anything, it would still be a stupid choice. Let the Lord of Dark complete the spell of infinite doom? You might wish you had died. I understand, Selina said, still with that strange sad smile. Your reasoning is exactly correct, Your Imperial Highness. I am not questioning you at all. I am only observing that you do not love me. Later that night, as with soft footsteps they padded toward the room where the assassin courier and his two companions slept, Hiru held the sword in his hand and stared at the central ridge of the blade. The endless wail still arose from it, from the infinitely thin line through the center. Hiru had been getting used to the sound, over time, which made it even harder to focus his attention on it. Do I get any points for that, sword? For what I said to Selina, even though I may have lost her? The wail seemed only to diminish slightly. Or maybe it was only Hiru's attention wandering away. It can't be that a hero is someone who would choose one person over the world. Not literally the world. Can it? The sound softened further, as if that infinitely thin line were growing more distant. I wouldn't be glad to sacrifice her. It would hurt. But I put myself on the line too. Isn't that what heroism is all about? Sacrificing yourself and your own desires for the good of the world. What is the truth that only heroes can face, if not that? Hiru stared intently at the sword, as if demanding an answer, and then became aware that his attention had moved away once again from that silent scream. And the three of them stood before the doorway. Selina took a small vial from off her harness and dripped small droplets of oil onto the hinges of the door. She was no master thief, but she had a quietly professional grasp of the basics. Quietly and slowly, the door opened. Selina went in first, and Dahl followed her, and then Hiru silently brought up the rear, sword held in guard position. The assassin courier had a thin, pointed beard and wore a light chain shirt even in his sleep. His two escorts had an unshaven, unsavory look, and it was obvious from the smell of the room that they had not bathed. The three of them were laid out on a line on as many beds. Selina had a long, thin poniard already in her hand, and plunged that needle straight through the left eyelid of the first thug, swift as a sword strike on the downward plunge, stopping abruptly in mid-death blow lest she strike the skull on the other side and make a sound. She went around the beds and repeated the silent kill there on the other thug, as Dolph quietly moved to each of the four corners of the room in turn while Hiru blocked the exit. Then, with a knife held just above the courier's throat, she spoke in a whisper, Don't move or I'll slit your throat before you can scream. The courier's eyes flew open and he drew a sudden breath, but stayed quiet. It may or may not matter to you but you've been working for the Lord of Dark in case you didn't know. Now tell us the message that you carry. Help, thieves! cried the courier in a small, soft voice that no one could possibly hear outside the room. Dolph's gaze lay intent upon the courier's throat. You see how it is. 
so you can tell me the message right now, and the wizard here will know if you lie, I do assure you. Or you can tell us the message later. Choose. Drown in a cesspool! Softly yelled the courier. What frightens you? Skinning? Castration? Watching his face the while. Blinding? Crippling? Or maybe... The courier spat at her. Selina moved quickly, but the spittle still struck her on the cheek. She didn't take her blade from his throat or her other blade from his crotch. You'll regret that, she said in a voice that brought a sudden chill to Hiru's blood. Her hands whitened on the blades. Hiru suddenly had a sense of impending disaster, as if events in the room were about to spiral out of control. He opened his mouth, then closed it again. He couldn't think of a single thing to say that wouldn't interfere with the interrogation. Dolph spoke, a quieter version of his usual rumble. It seems you're failing to impress him. Dolph took a step closer and locked eyes with the courier. How's this for a threat, Dark's dog? Suddenly the color drained from the courier's face as his eyes locked onto some vision that only he and Dolph could see. The courier screamed, and the sound came out as a small, thin, pathetic wail. Dolph stepped back. That's a threat, he said in Selina's general direction, and smiled one of his rare grins. The city of Salantra, gasped the courier. I was to tell a man in black, who would call himself Alec, at the crossroads of Thu to go to the city of Salantra and investigate the temple ruins. That's all I know, I swear. Selina looked inquiringly at Dolph, and Dolph nodded. They scattered a few gold coins on the floor to pay for the cleanup of the three corpses, and left at once while the cover of night still held. The palace of the Lord of Dark seemed as deserted as the open desert beneath the moon, or some far below cave in the bowels of the earth. The floors and walls had been carefully carved and polished into inhuman curves, and decorated in colors that threatened to melt a human's eyes. By no five-fingered hands had this place been made. And though the four of them had been creeping through the corridors at the cautious speed of a dungeon crawl, so far, not a single trap or ambush had been sprung. Alec was poking and prodding the door ahead with his staff. It was a mighty and ornamented door, carved with inhuman faces set in indecipherable expressions. And Dolph had said there was something interesting beyond. Nothing, Alec said and shook his head in bemusement. No traps on this one either. All those intricate carvings and not a single mechanism hidden behind them, as far as I could tell. He sighed. I'm beginning to feel useless. You three don't really need a thief on this trip. Hiru looked up from where he was staring into the sword's blade and half smiled. We don't know what isn't trapped. If we didn't have a thief on this trip, we'd still have to check the doors and floors. We'd just be doing it much more slowly. No, you've already saved the forces of good a good deal of time, Alec. Alec blinked. That's an odd way of looking at it, but you're right. Thank you, Highness. Alec's usually cheerful grin returned, and he stepped back and took his thief's staff from off his back. 
Manipulating a lever at the base, he caused the staff's clawed tip to close around the door handle. He twisted, then pushed. The door swung open. Ew. Alec and Selina said in unison. Before them, in the floor, was a vast pit of worms, writhing over one another in a light coating of slime. Next to the pit was a glass cage of worms, these motionless and rotting, and wires of red metal ran from the glass cage to the ceiling. The room smelled of cinnamon and decay. Dolph? What are we looking at? A wormarium. Dolph blinked and swallowed. I have heard of this. That any wizard, even the Lord of Dark, would sink so low. Dolph swallowed again. The Lord of Dark is draining the life force of the worms in order to sustain himself. He need not eat or drink. He will not age. He is cut off from the cycles of his own flesh. The ordinary decay of his body is transferred to the worms and the life of the worms. Ew! Selina and Alec said again. Shall we destroy it? The transfer cables are inactive. Of course, the Lord of Dark does not expect to need this once he completes the spell of infinite doom. Or perhaps he thinks it might interfere. Well, it matters not. I think he shall not notice what we do here. Dolph grounded his staff and a look of concentration briefly flashed across his face. Then, a sudden blaze of green incandescence burst forth from the pit and the cage. Alec convulsively yanked the door shut using the thief's staff. Gah! Warn a guy when you're about to do that, Master Wizard. I thought we triggered something. Our work here is... done? Dolph nodded. Do you sense anything else interesting enough to warrant our attention? Any other potential resources we should try to deny our enemy before the battle begins? Dolph shook his head. Hiru took a deep breath. He'd played out this scenario in his head so many times, over and over, that the reality felt more like a relief than anything else. Then it's time. They retraced their steps away from the Wormarium, returning to the central corridor they had explored earlier. Alec again took the lead, and they slowly, slowly walked down the long, black, metallic floor. After a long walk, the corridor widened out into a huge vestibule that for once did not insult the human eye. Floor laid with rectangular stones, walls hung with tapestries of pleasant color and disturbing subjects. On the left wall, an orc cradled the bloody body of a smaller orc, above a heap of bloody and slashed human bodies. Other orcs gazed at the scene intently. All of their expressions were inhuman and indecipherable. On the right wall, a gray-robed figure with human hands visible, but face concealed by a solid metal mask, stood as though in blessing over a field of green plants and twisted stalks. In front of them was a huge door fit for a city gate, inlaid with gold and gems that could have purchased a whole province. Even Hiru, who came from a wealthier plane of existence, was impressed. Bloody hell, Alex said under his voice, very softly, staring at the rectangular floor stones in their neatly tiled pattern. I hate this sort of thing. Step by step, they walked across the floor, 
Alec pressing hard with the thief's staff on every floor stone for thirty full seconds before continuing onward. It was on almost the last step before the door that the stone suddenly slid away with a huge shriek. Not the stone Alec had just pressed down with his staff, but the stone before that, where Alec had stood. With a choked yell, the thief plummeted and vanished. Alec! Selina screamed and ran forward heedless. Hiru began to follow, then, with coldly bitter determination, checked himself. Selina looked down into the gap in the floor where Alec had vanished. She choked. Alec! Then, as if gone mad, she leaned over the gap and began to reach down. A premonition prickled at Hiru, and with sudden desperation he leapt forward and yanked Selina back from where she was leaning. With a shriek and echoing boom, the stone surged back into place, almost crushing Selina's outstretched hand. No! Tears were already rolling down her cheek. Hero, please, we have to get to him! Your Highness, you mustn't! The cold bitterness, already in Hiru, turned to sudden rage and self-loathing. As had happened once before, the terrible wail from the center of the sword seemed to grow louder, to fill his mind. Heavier than a mountain, and more corrosive than a flood. A refusal to accept that would blast anything in its pathway but still, somehow, essentially moral in nature. More than pure destruction or simple entropy. Hiru's sword lashed out as though it were a part of him and smashed down upon the stone, and the stone shattered in the same instant as though every part of it had been unbound from itself. It fell into pebbles, and the pebbles fell into dust, and the dust turned to smoke and billowed upward and the smoke cleared and showed Alec above a bed of worms, some crushed by Alec's fall, some already beginning to writhe over his form. Alec wasn't moving. He wasn't breathing. The worm slime glistened on his skin. And then there was another groan of machinery, and Alec's body and the worms began to move out of their sight, as a new pit of worms moved into place below the floor. Selina screamed, an awful heart-wrenching plea that broke and shattered in her lips. Alec! No! Hiru laid his left hand on Selina's shoulder. We must go. His voice sounded empty and emotionless, even to his own ears. The Lord of Dark knows we're here now. Selina rose from the open pit, hands clenched as if to strike. You don't respect anything, do you? She said in a voice colder than the night between worlds. I'm sorry. I know how much Alec meant to you. You can hit me later, if you like. We have to go. We have to hurry. Selina turned away from him and drew her swords. Yes, your Imperial Highness. He couldn't see her face. Hiru leapt across the gap in the floor to the final stone before the door. The wail had not diminished this time. It was still in his mind. With a terrible black fury and a convulsion like throwing a mountain, Hiru struck and turned the bright gold door to smoke. So much for traps. And the smoke cleared and they saw the huge throne room and the throne and the Lord of Dark. A jolt of surprise rippled through Hiru's mind. The throne room was not small, but neither was it the hugeness that Hiru had expected. 
the size of a small house, perhaps. Scenes of sun and clouds, grass and hills dotted the walls, and a vast skylight above let in a pleasant golden glow. The Lord of Dark's throne was laid on a golden platform, and the throne itself was comfortably cushioned and well-designed for the human form, more like an office chair of Hiru's own world than a formal seat. Behind the throne lay a shimmering screen of force, and behind the screen of force an altar, and on the altar an intricate array of gears turning without axles or wires, and above the gears a throbbing blaze of light. And the Lord of Dark sat on the ergonomic throne, garbed in a comfortable cassock of gray silk. Oh, finally, said the Lord of Dark, his fingers tapped on the arm of his throne. I was starting to wonder if you were going to show up, Hiro. Hiro's mind was scrambled for a moment. He couldn't remember his own planned opening line. Were you now? His mouth said. Come now, don't tell me you were trying to sneak up on me. The entire world knows the prophecy about our meeting. The wielder of the Sword of Good is supposed to arrive before I complete the spell of ultimate power. The Lord of Dark waved at the glow above the machinery on the altar behind the throne. And that's just about done. Dolph smiled grimly from where he leaned upon his staff. You're frightened. Of course I'm nervous. Gah! The Lord of Dark made a convulsive gesture as though to claw at the empty air, radiating frustration. Are you quite done stating the obvious? Selina raised a sword and pointed at the Lord of Dark. Around her neck, the glowy stone flamed brightly where it had been set in the empty necklace. No sorcery of mind would touch her with that armor, still less while Dolph stood guard. You killed my only love, she said in a simple voice, a quiet voice. A voice like death. And I am going to kill you. The Lord of Dark looked at her. A complex expression flashed across his face. Condemnation was in it, and pity. Then, without a word or a gesture, Alex's body floated out and came to rest near the altar, behind the screen of force. Alex's head is still intact. You may or may not know, Selina, that everything that a human is resides in a human's brain. Your lover still exists, Selina. All that is him still is there. He is simply not breathing at the moment. After I complete the spell of ultimate power, I'll have the ability to bring Alec back. And I will. Does that work for you? Selina swayed where she stood. She choked, a single sob escaping her lips. Hiru felt a sudden chill, remembering a conversation from what seemed like ages ago. What if the Lord of Dark had me prisoner and threatened to kill me unless you... Selina looked like a woman in the midst of tearing out her own heart and crushing it with her own hands. Hiru dropped his eyes. He couldn't look at it. He only watched Selina's hands on the swords, waiting for her decision. And then Selina straightened and her swords came level in her hands, pointing at the Lord of Dark. And she said, in a small voice like she was dying, Good. Sudden tears came into Hiru's eyes. Slight puzzlement flickered on the Lord of Dark's face. I mean it. I'm not asking anything from you. I am just telling you that if I win, I'll bring Alec back. That's a promise. You son of a bitch. Hiru saw it, then, 
the cruel subtlety of the Lord of Dark. Not the obvious threat, demanding Selina to betray her friends in exchange for her lover's life. No crude offer that could be refused once and for all. Just the simple and unconditional promise. And then Selina would have to fight on, knowing with every breath and every blow that if she won, she lost her only love forever. Bastard! She tilted the sword further to point at the Lord of Dark's head. The Lord of Dark shook his head in annoyance and then focused his gaze fully upon Hiru. Hiru tensed. He'd been wondering, for a long time now, what the Lord of Dark could possibly offer him, what threat he could possibly make to give Hiru a choice worth the name. Hiru had thought about that, trying to put himself in the Lord of Dark's place, and he thought that the Lord of Dark might indeed offer to make Hiru his number two. Or alternatively, if Hiru refused and then lost, keep him alive and torture him for thousands of years. That was about as forceful as Hiru could imagine making it. But the Lord of Dark had already demonstrated himself more subtle than Hiru's imagination. The Lord of Dark spoke. His voice was more formal now. Not calm, but steady. All the preliminaries are in place, wielder of the Sword of Good. There remains only your choice between good and bad. The Lord of Dark's eyes grew intent. Hero, completing the spell of ultimate power requires the sacrifice of a wizard of the highest degree, and also I have a use for that sword of good. In the name of all the darkness that exists in the world, I request that you kill Dolph with the sword of good and then give it to me. There was a long pause. That's it? The whole thing was so insane, after so much waiting and wondering, that he felt a crazy laughter rising up in his own throat. He swallowed it. That's the awful temptation? That's the choice? You think I'm going to choose bad over good because you asked politely? The Lord of Dark stared at Hiru as though he were the crazy one. The choice between good and bad said the Lord of Dark in a slow, careful voice, as though explaining something to a child. It's not a matter of saying good. It is about deciding which is which. Dolph uttered a single bark of laughter. Ha! You're mad! Can you truly not know that you are evil? You, the Lord of Dark! Names, said the Lord of Dark quietly. Hiru was so angry he could hardly speak. With an icy effort of control, he forced himself back to calm, forced his eyes to keep moving. This could all be a distraction. If you're going to give me some pathetic speech about how good and evil are just different sides of the same coin... Absolutely not, said the Lord of Dark at once. His gaze flicked to Dolph. It is the wizards who go about talking of equilibrium and balance. I am pleased to see, Hiro, that you do not agree with them. No, Hiro, I am asking you something much simpler. His eyes bored into Hiro's face. What wrong have I done? A small note of disorientation rose up in Hiro, like climbing stairs and stepping on what you thought was the last stair, but beneath your foot there was no stair, no floor, nothing. You suck the life from worms. I know darkness when I see it. The Lord of Dark's gaze scarcely flickered in her direction. 
Be silent, eater of mammals. You command the bad races of evil land. You lent them your sorcery, aided them in slaughtering human beings. The Lord of Dark was watching Hiru carefully as he made reply. Human beings first launched an unprovoked attack on this land some 3,000 years ago, saying, though it was lies, that the inhabitants ate human flesh. The records here would have it, and I believe them, that the missing people were in fact being kidnapped and sold by human slave-takers. Since then, those you call the bad races have been fighting off repeated attempts at extermination. Oh, they hate you, of course they do, but they are wise enough to understand that there are also a few good humans, even as there's evil among their own kind. They are friendly enough to me. An awful fear was beginning to rise up in Hiru. Now it is my turn to make accusation. The Lord of Dark stood, anger gathered around him like a cloak, and his voice rang out through the throne room. You, Dolph, art wizard of the Fell Empire, I do accuse of commanding and causing to be performed the murders of Elzur, Anza, Stav, Valdil, Emhil, Tum, Karl, and the Magus Mikkel. On the eighth day of the seventh moon of this year you ordained their deaths. I do not call them innocents. They bore weapons. They went knowingly to the risk. But you, Dolph, you made necessary their sacrifice. You may not be forgiven for the lives that you have cut short and the grief you have given to their families and survivors. Though this is only the beginning of your long litany of crimes, yet I remember the day that first message came to me. You are mad. You accuse us of murder for killing orcs? Hiru stood frozen. There was a hissing sound as the seven creatures guarding the doorway caught sight of them, the intruders. Their glistening chests expanded, sucking air. Their faces contracted, eyes squinting in an expression that a human would interpret as hatred or surprise. And then their scaly warted hands whipped over their heads and brought forth swords. Why did I... So what if their skin was moist and scaly and warted and unsightly to human eyes? So what if their blood smelled foul as Selina poured it forth in rivers? Why didn't I? Hiru's memory moved forward relentlessly, like waking up from and reviewing some mad dream. His arm lashed out with sudden force, and the sword sank through the robes near where a human would keep their heart. Here is your crime. You, a human, have betrayed the Empire. You, a true wizard by birth, have betrayed the ancient halls of wizardry. You spread sedition and treason and oppose the authority of the rightful heir to the throne. Why did I think that I had the right to rule over millions of people without votes or parliaments? because of who my parents were. Dolph slammed his staff on the ground. And above all, above all, that you seek to cast the spell of infinite doom, that you, in your lust for power, would destroy the very equilibrium that holds the world in balance. Because Dolph seemed to expect it of me, because no one around me seemed to question that it was a good idea, or even point it out as something to think about. Equilibrium. His face twisted. Balance. 
Is that what the wizards call it when some live in fine castles and dress in the noblest raiment, while others starve in rags in their huts? Is that what you call it when some years are of health and other years plague sweeps the land? Is that how you wizards in your lofty towers justify your refusal to help those in need? Fool! There is no equilibrium. It is a word that you wizards say at only and exactly those times that you don't want to bother. It prevents you from giving food to the hungry but not from filling your own bellies. Your friends are good enough to be healed, no threat to the balance there, but the cripple in the streets must be left to suffer. Dolph stepped forward and brushed Selina's arm briefly with the staff. Was the legless beggar, watching them with incurious eyes, a spy? Why hadn't he thought to ask? Because you just don't care. And in the stillness of dawning disaster, in the first note of questioning, Hiru thought of something else he had never thought to ask. Dolph had his sorcerous shields of protection. Why had Dolph let Alec walk in front? Dolph was, in fact, by far the strongest member of their party. Why had he let Selina do the fighting? Because Dolph was more important, and if he exposed himself to all the risk every time, he might eventually be injured. Hiru's logical mind completed the thought. Lower risk, but higher stakes. Cold, but necessary. But would you, said another part of his mind, would you, Hiru, let your friends walk before you and fight and occasionally die? If you knew that you yourself were stronger and able to protect them, would you be able to stop yourself from stepping in front? Perhaps, replied the cold logic, if the world were at stake. Perhaps, echoed the other part of himself. But that is not what was actually happening. That part of him knew, as Selina had known before. It's just that, from the beginning, Dolph never cared in the slightest about Selina's life. Had cared nothing for a mere pirate captain. Pirate captain? Hiru's eyes flicked briefly to Selina. She has attacked ships and sunken ships. She has kidnapped and killed. All in the name of profit for herself. Before she ever met me or tried to save the world. She killed dozens without a thought until her own love was lost, and then a single death was suddenly an event of world-shaking significance. Why did I think that was acceptable? Why didn't I notice? Another memory came to Hiru. The color drained from the courier's face as his eyes locked onto some vision that only he and Dolph could see. The courier screamed, and the sound came out as a small, thin, pathetic wail. Dolph had done that without touching the man, but... Threats of death and injury are already torture in themselves, under the Geneva Convention, by the laws of my own world. He'd known something was wrong, that small note of disquiet in the corner of his mind, but he hadn't said a word out loud, because... Well, it would have been awkward. I am a fool. Worse than a fool. Why didn't the sword just kill me? And the everlasting wail of the sword of good burst fully into his consciousness.
It was like his mind and self were sucked toward that infinitely thin line running through the center of the sword, the edge within the blade. Sucked toward that edge and cut through. Cut through and torn wide and forced open. A scream ripped from Hiru's lips. He was starving to death, freezing naked in cold night air, being stabbed, beaten, raped, watching his father, daughter, lover die, hurt, 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 die! Open to all the darkness that exists in the world, his consciousness shattered into a dozen million fragments, each fragment privy to some private horror. The young girl screaming as her father, face demonic, tore her blouse away. The horror of the innocent condemned as the judge laid down the sentence. The mother holding her son's hand tightly with tears rolling down her eyes as his last breath slowly wheezed from his throat. All the darkness that you look away from. The endless scream. Make it stop! It might have been Hugh's thought, or the thought of the man who screamed as his foot was crushed beneath a stone. Refuse. Reject. Change. Reality, don't be like this! Make it stop! It could have been Hiru, or the child in the burning house. Make it stop! 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 I will make it stop! In the throne room of the Lord of Dark, the sword suddenly blazed up with a shock like a thousand-mile dam breaking, a roaring tsunami of force. The eyes could not see that power, wavered between detecting it as light or darkness, so that Hiru, grasping the hilt, was the only dark thing left against the brilliance, or the only bright thing haloed against the shadow. Dolph had been turning toward Hiru with alarm in his face. Now his eyes widened, and a sudden gladness lit his countenance. You've done it! You have awakened the sword at last! Now, my prince, with but a single strike you may! The sword, with one smooth sweep, cut through all Dolph's defenses like water and touched the wizard's throat. And in the moment of the sword touching Dolph's skin, the wizard stopped. The sword continued in its motion unabated, and Dolph's head separated from his body and went rolling across the floor, as something seemed to flow away from the corpse toward the gears above the altar. Selina's cry of horror mingled with the sudden hum of the brightened glow above the gears. Hero! Hero, why? You said you would be good! Then she turned toward him and pointed her swords. Selina froze in place like a statue, one of her feet suspended in mid-air and mid-run. In the same instant, the glowing stone on her necklace shattered. Hiru's eyes drifted, ever so slowly it seemed, to the disbelief on Selina's face. A part of him was horrified and saddened to see her looking at him like that. And at the same time, it seemed like such a small thing. Her horror, his own sadness, compared to even a single parent watching their child die. Let alone the actual number doing so right at that moment elsewhere in the world. Thank you, said the Lord of Dark softly. Make it stop, said Hiru's lips.
There were other thoughts inside him, still being carried out by his brain, but they were dwarfed under that single, terrible weight. The Lord of Dark rose from his throne, began to come forward. I must touch the blade. Hiru crossed the intervening space in an instant, the sword moving in a single perfect arc in his hands. It was as though the blade simply materialized in front of the Lord of Dark. The Lord of Dark jerked back. Hurry, said Hiru's lips. The spell of ultimate power is already in progress now, and will complete in a few moments. It can neither be hurried nor delayed, but before that time, there is one last thing I must do. The Lord of Dark reached out for the sword, but his fingers faltered. Must do, the Lord of Dark repeated to himself, and his fingers reached out and firmly came to rest on the blade of the Sword of Good. They lingered there for a long moment. Then... Thank you. That was all. You can put down the Sword of Good now. You probably should. Hiru dropped the sword. In the instant the sword left his hands, it became only another piece of metal and fell to the ground with a simple clang. And in the moment that Hiru's hands left the hilt, he became only another mortal. Hiru staggered and was distantly aware of the Lord of Dark catching him as he fell, to lay him gently on the ground. In a whisper, Hiru said, Thank you, and paused. My name is Vazar. You didn't trust yourself. That's why you had to touch the Sword of Good. Hiru felt Vazar's nod more than seeing it. The air was darkening, or rather, Hiru's vision was darkening. But there was something terribly important left to say. The Sword of Good only tests good intentions. It doesn't guide your steps. That which empowers a hero does not make us wise. Desperation strengthens your hand, but it strikes with equal force in any direction. I'll be careful, said the Lord of Dark, the one who had mastered and turned back the darkness. I won't trust myself. You are, then me, you are. I should have known. I should have known from the beginning. I was raised in another world. A world where royal blood is not a license to rule. A world whose wizards do more than sneer from their high towers. A world where life is not so cheap. Where justice does not come as a knife in the night. A world where we know that the texture of a race's skin shouldn't matter. And yet for you, born in this world, to question what others took for granted. For you, without ever touching the sword, to hear the scream that had to be stopped at all costs. I don't trust you either, but I don't expect there's anyone better and he closed his eyes until the end of the world. End Sword of Good Thank you to the following people. Dolph Drake Walker Selena by Brooke Davis Lord of Dark by Brian Jones Alec by Greg Kraus This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project.
Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the next chapter of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality.